You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, we have been talking about um, images of the gospel in Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. Um, we looked a couple weeks ago about the story of David uh, welcoming Mephibosheth into his home uh, and, and restoring his lands, um, and how God does the same for us and through Jesus. Um, and then last week, Tucker talked about how God offered grace to Adam and Eve um, in the moments after their disobedience in the garden, and he clothed them just like God clothes us and gives us new life when we accept Jesus into our hearts. Um, and so today we're going to find a similar message of hope and redemption, um, and we're going to find it in the book of Ruth. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. That'd be great. If not, we have some selected readings on a handout um, that uh, I think is actually by the door, if, if, ever, if anyone's missing one. Um, but uh, so, so we're going to be looking at Ruth, um, and it's a, it's a small little book of the Bible uh, nestled between Judges and First Samuel. Um, and you may be asking yourself, why are we reading Ruth? It's a small book. It's a little narrative. Um, what does this have on our life? What, if, what, what relevance does this have to me? Um, and I think, in fact, because Ruth is a narrative, um, it has so many practical implications in our lives. Um, it's such a down-to-earth story, but yet there's so much um, of the presence of God involved. Um, and so we read it. We see that it's a story that uh, has a lot of suffering. There's death. There's heartache. Um, it's got got a nice little Hollywood rags to riches element of it as well. Um, there's there's this, there's immigration. There's interracial friendships and marriage. Um, and yeah, sorry guys, it is a love story. Um, but like like uh, like the Bible as a whole, um, Ruth is a microcosm for the greatest love story ever told. Um, it's a brief but beautiful picture of the gospel that we um, find later on. Um, so uh, we're going to read the selected readings. Um, it's going to be the first one and the last one that we're going to go through first. Um, so Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Um, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from, the Beth- from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Um, And then we skip forward to the last reading, which is Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Um, We see... So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord. Um, So we see in just a few short verses here um, 
that Naomi has a husband, has sons, um, and then all of a sudden she doesn't. She loses everything. Um, and then we fast forward through a couple chapters and we see that she has been redeemed. She once again has a family and her life has done a complete 180. Um, this is a wild story. Um, and so let's, let's set the stage and see how we got there. Um, as we saw in chapter one, uh, Elimelech, Naomi, uh, and their two sons, Mahlon and Kilian, moved out of Judah, the promised land, and into Moab. Um, times were tough. There was a famine in the land. And uh, they, they moved out of their home. And this is like crazy because um, leaving the promised land for Moab was, um, was kind of un- unthinkable because Moab was an enemy of Israel, of Judah. Um, and the Moabites were, were bitter, long, long-standing enemies of the Jewish people. Um, and so this was a big step for uh, this family to do this. Um, so if we put ourselves in their shoes, um, where we see that they're in a foreign land, um, and then all of a sudden, Elimelech, the head of the family, dies. Um, and so this is this is tragic, this is heartbreaking. Um, but we see that the family is able to recover. Life goes on. Um, Madeline, Killian, and Naomi are able to to move forward. Madeline and Killian find Moabite women to marry. Um, and then after a period of about 10 years, Madeline and Killian die as well. And so we don't know why or how they die. We don't know why Elimelech dies. But the important thing is that Naomi is left with nothing. Um, in this family-centric world, this patriarchal world where husbands and sons uh, rule, kind of run everything, uh, Naomi is left with these two daughters-in-law who are foreigners. She's in a foreign country, and uh, there's not much hope for her. In terms of economic possibilities, um, it's pretty limited for widows in the ancient world. The first thing that she could have done was potentially to work in the fields um, and try to become a hired servant or just glean and pick up scraps of food and kind of scavenge for herself. But she uh, can't even do this. We learn in chapter one and chapter two that she's too old to do this. And so she can't even feed herself, provide for herself. So that's out. Uh, Option number two, she could remarry. Um, But again, we see in chapter one, Naomi recognizes that uh, I am too old to have another husband. And so she can't remarry. She can't have more kids. Option number three would have been, and it worked for about 10 years, to let her son support her. Um, And this worked. But again, uh, Madeline and Killian passed away, and so she doesn't have anyone to support her financially or economically. And finally, she could sell her land, but they already probably sold their land when they left Judah to come to Moab, so she's got nothing to her name. And uh, to sum up, she's got no economic hope. She has no social or relationship prospects, no significance. And we even see that she's kind of starting to lose her spiritual hope, not completely, but she recognizes that um, she sees that she says that the Lord has gone out against her, um, and she she says that the Lord has afflicted me. Um, and she's kind of starting to question, maybe blame God a little bit. Um, and this is this is the rockiest of rock bottoms. Um, this is so rocky that she reaches the point of changing her name uh, at the end of chapter one. Her name Naomi meant pleasure. It was a happy name, and she says, "My life is so terrible. I'm going to rename myself Mara, which means bitterness." Um, so I'm not sure if you've ever hit the I'm so done with life, I'm changing my name to bitterness point. Um, but I bet that most of us in this room can sympathize with Naomi on some point. Um, we have all suffered and lost a loved one or lost a job or maybe been bullied in school or just beaten down by the everyday um, struggles of of life. Um, and uh, and so we can connect with Naomi. Um, maybe, maybe we felt cursed and have felt like we're bringing other people around us down and we, actually, we just want them to leave us because we don't want to hurt them more, um, which is exactly where Naomi was. But the good news is that, of this book is that Naomi's story doesn't end here. Um, a story that begins in chapter 1 
with famine, death, and suffering and bitterness is bound for redemption, songs of joy, and new life in chapter 4. Um, and so what changes? Um, well, we saw, as we saw in chapter 4, she was redeemed. And naturally, to be redeemed, you need a redeemer. And one of the cool things about Ruth is that there's actually more than one redeemer present in this story, which is kind of crazy. Um, so let's, let's get into that. The first redeemer, the number one overall draft pick, is uh, Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer who was kind of identified in chapter 4. Um, but we'll dive into him a little bit more. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, verse 1, the audience is introduced to Boaz um, as a relative on Naomi's husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing. Um, but up to this point, only the audience knows of him. Ruth and Naomi are not aware of him yet. And so from the short verse, the audience can learn a few key details. We know that he's a man of standing, which pretty much means that he's probably, probably fairly wealthy and is a respected landowner, a man of high character. Um, but what's also equally important is that he's related to Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. And you may be asking, you know, why is this important? Um, but for, for Jewish people in this time, this would have been a huge detail. Because according to one of God's laws, which is in Leviticus 25, um, if a family in poverty had sold some of its land, then the nearest kinsman, the nearest male kinsman of that family, was to come and redeem the land and buy it back for the family. And this was the idea, the concept was called like, the kinsman redeemer who bought back the land. Um, so this is like, you have a family, let's say you're the head of the family, you have a house, a mortgage, everything, um, and then one day stock market crashes, you lose everything, you lose your house, um, you got nowhere to live. It would be like your brother's responsibility to buy the house back for you and give you the place to live. And this was kind of God's provision to, to help families avoid poverty and kind of help certain families from getting too high and certain families from getting too low. Um, and the second uh, important detail about uh, Boaz's kinship to Elimelech was that, uh, this idea of leveret marriage, which was very common in the uh, ancient world um, and is talked about in the Bible a little bit in Deuteronomy 25. Um, but this, this concept of leveret marriage uh, basically said that the brother of a deceased husband, so Elimelech died, and so his brother would have been obligated to marry uh, the widow, which was Naomi. Um, and if there was no brother, then the next closest male kinsman was to do this. Um, and so learning that Boaz is a male kinsman is important um, for the story. And, and for a Jewish audience, this is, um, you know, this is a glimmer of hope that we see for Ruth and Naomi, even though they don't realize it yet. Um, so Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. They have nothing. Um, they don't quite know of Boaz yet. And Ruth goes in the field to glean. Um, she, just as a reminder, as a, as a Moabitess, she's returned to, she's gone to Judah for the first time, a land that she hasn't ever known. Um, and she's a foreigner. She's an enemy of Israel. This is probably pretty dangerous for her to just, just be there, especially as a foreigner and as um, a widow and as someone who's just scavenging for food. Um, and secondly, this is a reminder that Naomi's too old to go find food for herself. Um, and her life is really in Ruth's hands, um, which we will return to in just a bit. Um, so Ruth is in the fields gleaning. Um, and gleaning is basically just a fancy word for saying that she's gathering the leftovers of the harvest, um, and, uh, and, and, and hope of, you know, she's going to this, this field that she's never been to before, this man she's never been, she doesn't know, and she's trying to basically find scraps for herself and Naomi. Um, and this sounds kind of strange to us, but it was actually pretty common, um, back then, uh, and this is also another provision in God's law that he made to help care for the poor. Um, in Leviticus 19, God talks about, um, several provi- provisions for the poor, including one where he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and fallen. I am the Lord your God. 
Um, so this is this is exactly what um, Ruth and Naomi are. They are the poor and alien. This law was written for people like them. And so Ruth is working hard. She's working on the edge of the field, picking up scraps of wheat um, and trying to find food for herself and Naomi and probably keeping a watchful eye out, knowing that she might be in danger. Um, and, and then the narrator with a little, a little twinkle in his eye says that it just so happens that Ruth is working in Boaz's field. Um, and Ruth doesn't know that. She doesn't know who Boaz is. But we, the reader, know that um, this isn't random luck. This is the hand of God, um, you know, working and giving Naomi and Ruth um, an opportunity and hope. Um, so eventually Boaz visits the field later that day, and he sees this new this new foreign lady working in his field, and he's like, who's this chick? Um, and, and then when he learns that she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi, um, Boaz knows exactly who she is. Um, Ruth at this time had, even though she was new to the new to Bethlehem, had developed a reputation um, not as some like low life or some foreigner, um, but instead she uh, has a reputation for um, uh, all that she's done since the death of her husband. How she left her father and mother and her homeland and came to live with people who she did not know. So the people like Boaz and others have begun to see that Ruth has done a really brave thing and a really awesome thing in leaving everything she has to be with Naomi and going to this foreign land. So Boaz is like, this, this girl's pretty sweet. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help her out. She's also one of my kinsmen. Um, he says, first of all, I'm going to protect you. Um, I am going to tell my men that none of them are to harm you, even though you're, you're poor, you're a stranger. No one's going to hurt you. And secondly, he says, uh, I want you to come back every day and glean as much as you want of my fields. You're always welcome here. But you're not going to keep you know, working the edges of the field I want you to, to take the middle. I want you to take the good stuff. I want you to harvest with my workers who are working in the field and just take as much as you want, as much as you can. It's all yours. And he even tells his men, he's like, as you pick, as you pick the wheat, um, which I don't actually know what that looks like, but as you pick the wheat, we'll imagine it looks like this. Um, he says, I want you to like leave stuff behind for uh, Ruth to gather. So he's like, Hansel and Gretel in a good way, like leave, leave some good stuff for Naomi to pick up so that her life is easier. So Ruth goes home, and she's not carrying like a few scraps of wheat. Um, she's got like a whole ephah of food, which obviously an ephah is, you know, a lot. Um, and it's like, in like actual terms, it's five and a half gallons. If you're a metric system person, that's like 22 liters. If you don't like to put volume on your food, this is like two weeks of food, um, which for gathering in one day, two weeks is a ton of food. Um, so this is awesome. And uh, we see, I think, our second reading. Actually, it's the third reading on your handout. Um, Naomi sees Ruth come in with all this food, and she's like, what the heck has happened? Um, and so this is reading number three from chapter two. Um, she says, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Um, so, so Naomi's first response is to praise God, which is always a good thing. Um, and secondly, she kind of she blesses Boaz as well. And and the wording in this is kind of ambiguous, and so it, it kind of she's kind of simultaneously praising both God and Boaz, and kind of thanking God for working through Boaz um, and not forgiving about forgetting about the living or the dead. Um, and also importantly, Naomi kind of remembers, she's like, oh, Boaz is one of Elimelech's 
cousins or a distant relative or a near relative. Um, and so, sorry, he's a close relative. Um, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And so we don't know why Naomi hasn't remembered about Boaz until this time. Um, but when she remembers who Boaz is, she's like, oh, right, this is a guy who can help us. Um, and she kind of has uh, a change in attitude. She finally has hope. Um, and she's remembered that there are people out there who, are, who can help her um, in Ruth's uh, situation. So Naomi starts scheming, and in like a good way. Um, she's not like Ocean's 8 stealing stuff. This is, this is good stuff. Um, so she sees that Boaz can redeem the family, but she also knows that this is like a huge ask um, of Boaz. And not like, because, <clears throat> sorry, for, for Boaz to redeem Ruth and Naomi, it wouldn't just be buying the land um, because Elimelech passed away. Uh, Leverett marriage was also in play. So Boaz would have had to buy the land, which would have been very expensive, and he would have had to buy Elimelech's land that he sold originally when he left Judah. So Boaz would have had to buy the land and marry Naomi and have, have kids with Naomi, and these kids would not be Boaz's offspring. They would be considered Elimelech's line. Um, but since Naomi was too old, um, Boaz would actually have to do even more. He would have to buy the land at a high price. He would have to welcome in Naomi, who can't really bring anything to the table. Um, and he'd have to marry Ruth, this foreign girl, and he'd have to have kids with Ruth that um, were technically of Elimelech's line as well. So this is this is a huge ask of of Naomi, um, but she kind of is like, Ruth, all right, we got to make some plays. Let's get out there. So... Uh, uh, so, so at Naomi's instruction, Ruth goes to Boaz while she's sleeping, and uh, Ruth curls up at Boaz's feet, which is kind of an interesting image for us. Um, and then when Boaz wakes up, uh, she says, um, Ruth says, spread the, the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Um, and this phrase, cover me with your garment, uh, which kind of connects back to last week's message from Tucker, um, roughly translates to Boaz, middle name, last name, will you marry me? Um, and then, oh, by the way, don't forget that you're a kinsman redeemer and our lives depend on you. So, no, help us, please. No pressure. Exactly. Um, and so this is like the most romantic proposal ever. Um, but if this doesn't work, Ruth and Naomi are done, right? Boaz was the only person who was looking out for them. And if they mess this up with him, then they're back to square one. They're probably, you know, don't have much to live for. Um, but thankfully, Boaz agrees. There's a crazy scene in chapter four where there's this, another kinsman in play. Um, but he decides that he doesn't want to marry Ruth. Um, that's too much to ask. So eventually, Boaz gets to welcome Naomi and Ruth with open arms. This is what he wanted. Um, and so, and so Boaz says yes. He says, "I will pay your debts. I will give you your land back," um, which is which is you know incredible. But what's even more amazing is that he goes a step farther and says, um, "He says, now come, I want you to enjoy all that I have. You are debt free. Now welcome to my family. All my wealth, my status, my possessions, my lands are now yours. Welcome to your new life." Um, so Ru- Boaz does this for for Ruth and Naomi. And guys, this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is the gospel. Just as Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer, Jesus is ours. With his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus spoke the same message to us a thousand times over. Um, He says, come, your sins are forgiven, your debts are paid. Now welcome, I have prepared a room for you and my family. All that I have is yours. Your old life as a broken, helpless orphan sinner is is gone, it's dead. I've given you life, and now I want to spend it with you. I want to have a relationship with you on this earth, and then eventually one day in heaven. Um, So for us, Jesus came... Uh, to redeem us from our sins, to pay our debts like Boaz, and he came to welcome us into his home 
and give us everything he has and, and be in relationship with us. And this is just an awesome parallel, just like Boaz, you know, except Jesus does it, you know, times a billion. Um, and so this is, this is great. This is an awesome picture of, from the story of Ruth, but that's not, that's not it. Um, we're looking for pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament, and Ruth has several. Um, so yes, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer and a preview to the ultimate redeemer we have in Jesus. Um, but it's not the book of Boaz, it's the book of Ruth. Um, so let's look at Ruth, who is our second redeemer. Um, when we look back at the fourth reading from chapter four, um, we see spe- specifically in verse 15, um, he talking about this redeemer shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Um, we see that uh, both Ruth and Boaz are integral parts of Naomi's redemption. Um, and we even see that Ruth is better to Naomi than seven sons. Um, and uh, I'm a history major, so one is not usually greater than seven in my mind, but I don't know. Um, and maybe you're out there and you're like, yeah, one kid is definitely better than seven. Um, <laughs> but that's not, like, that's, that's not the point. Um, because for Jews in this time, seven was the perfect number. And we talked about um, this was a society dominated by men and sons. And so seven sons was like the perfect family. It was like the nuclear family, family dream, like the, hitting the jackpot. Um, so the point is, is that people recognize that Ruth was huge for Naomi and had helped redeem her. So if we go back to chapter one, um, we see that Ruth uh, uh, did not have to do this. Um, Boaz was obligated by the law to, to help Naomi, and he went above and beyond, but he was still kind of legally obligated to do this. Um, but in fact, Ruth, Ruth did not have any you know, legal um, implications here. She didn't, and Naomi didn't even want Ruth around. Naomi begged and begged Ruth to leave, um, and common sense told us that Ruth should have left, like Orpah did. Um, and because if Ruth had, if Ruth had left... She would have gone back home. She would have had a family, a dad, maybe a, maybe brothers, um, to protect her, to feed her, to care for her. Um, and she would have had wealth and prospects to remarry and live a happy Moabite life um, in the desert. Um, but if she'd gone to, with Naomi to Bethlehem, she would have been poor. She would have had no social prospects and was honestly probably on the path to die soon. Um, and so honestly, like also, this isn't really there, but Naomi change her name from pleasure to bitterness and like just doesn't seem like she's that pleasant to be around um so i I don't know that's uh you know extra um but uh so so in short ruth has nothing to gain and everything to lose by going with um naomi um and she's probably the first immigrant in history to ever leave her home and expect a worse life where she's going um this really just doesn't make sense um but then we see uh, with our, our final reading, which is, I think, the second one on the page, uh, Ruth 1, 15 through 18. Uh, Naomi is trying to push Ruth back to her family, and Ruth is refusing. She says, uh, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Um, first of all, this is really beautiful. Um, the fact that these are the words that Ruth says in the midst of all this tragedy is pretty remarkable. Um, and this is probably something you've heard at weddings um, at some time or another, because um, it is an awesome passage. But like, why, why, why and how can Ruth say this 
um, in the midst of all this tragedy and when she's risking everything, even though she's expecting to have a hard life going with Naomi. Um, I think there are two things to keep in mind. Number one is her faith in God, and number two is her love for Naomi. Because um, we see in verse 16 that Ruth says, uh, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Um, Ruth had lived with a Jewish husband and a Jewish fa- uh, mother-in-law, um, so she'd been exposed to the God of Israel before. Um, and, and she's kind of seen Naomi wrestle with her own faith throughout this hard time. Um, and so a lot of people have kind of thought that this verse 16 was uh, a conversion experience for Ruth. Um, I, I actually think that Ruth uh, already believed in the God of Israel. Um, and when I say I, I mean Tim Keller, a balder guy and smarter than I am. Um, but he says that uh, Ruth was already, he thinks Ruth was already a believer in God because if you look at verse 17, um, she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Um, and this Lord in your Bible or in the text um, is probably kind of in all caps, um, which is indicative of the word that she uses. Um, this is the Hebrew word of Yahweh, which was the covenant name uh, between God and the people of Israel. And so she wouldn't have used this name of God unless she was already a believer in God, unless she was already a member of the people of Israel. Um, and also, like, it doesn't really make sense for her to risk everything for a God that she doesn't know and for a person that she likes, or that she loves, but like she doesn't know the God and kind of invoke the name of that God as she's doing it. Um, and it makes a whole lot more sense for her to make this leap of faith because she already has a relationship with, um, with God. Um, but either way, the important thing is that she risks everything. Um, and this is undoubtedly a hard decision um, because, uh, you know, she's leaving everything by all indications, giving up on a family, giving up on a good life giving up on a future. Um, but at the same time, her decision is, is pretty clear um, because she believes in God and she knows that Moab is no longer her home. Um, and furthermore, uh, Ruth loves Naomi and she understood that Naomi would not have survived if not for Ruth. As we saw earlier, uh, Naomi was too old to remarry, um, too old to work in the fields, so she couldn't even support herself um, in by finding basic needs. And so uh, Naomi's life is completely in Ruth's hands. Um, so what does Ruth do? Ruth gives up her life so that Naomi can have hers. Um, and just as, as a brief aside, I think a lot of us as Christians expect our lives to get easier when we convert to Christ. We expect to be like immigrants going from, um, you know, a bad place to a better place. And in some in some ways, like, that's very true. We have passing from death to life, and we're given a new self, um, and the Spirit now lives within us, and we're saved, and one day we will get to live in heaven where there's no more pain or suffering or heartache. Um, but God does not promise us that the Christian life will be pain-free um, or wealth-filled or even easy. Um, he tells us that it will look a whole lot more like Ruth's life. Um, Jesus says that there will be pain, there will be suffering, and Paul tells us to expect persecution. Um, we'll be asked to make sacrifices and to give away our money and to uproot our comfortable lives and, live, and move to a new city um, and to obey when it's the last thing we want to do. And so it won't be easy, and sometimes... Maybe a lot of times we won't want to, to live the life God has asked us to live. Um, but Ruth provides an example of, of, uh, of willingness to obey at all costs, to obey without expectations from God. Um, and even just this past week in our junior and senior high Bible studies, um, we've been talking about uh, the command to love our neighbors. And in 1 John 3, John describes the love that we're supposed to have as self-sacrificial. And no one embodies the self-sacrificial love more than Jesus on the cross, um, but Ruth is like a good distant number two um, with this with her example um, because she knew that Naomi 
um, for Naomi to have any life, Ruth would have to leave all that was familiar to her, impoverish herself, and give up everything for Naomi. Um, and this should sound familiar, right? This this sounds a lot like um, the third redeemer that we have in this story. Um, he's in the shadows, um, and he's not just the redeemer of Ruth and Naomi, but he's the redeemer of all of us. Um, and his name is Jesus. And you might be like, okay, yes, Jesus is our redeemer. This is church. This is what I'm supposed to say. But where is he in the story? Um because we see that alone, Ruth and Boaz have provided glimpses of the redeeming life that Jesus would one day live. Um, but, but both are still fallen and imperfect humans, and, and they're not good enough to truly redeem us. Um, so if we look back at verses, uh, f- chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, um, we see that the, the redemption is not complete without Ruth. The redemption is not complete without Boaz, but it's also not complete without um, the birth of a son. And in some in some commentaries and translations, this is the the ESV that I have on the sheet. Um, it says, "Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, um, and may His name be renowned in Israel." Um, some people have interpreted this as the redeemer referred to here as Boaz, um, but other people believe that the redeemer is referring to the child that was born. Um, and so, we also see the genealogy of Ruth how. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, um, who eventually was an ancestor to Jesus, um, who was also born in Bethlehem. And so so this redeemer um, can be referring to Boaz, but it also can be referring to the child of Ruth, um, the descendant of Ruth, um, Jesus, who um, redeems all of us, um, and was the child redeemer who became renowned in Israel and who became the restorer of life and the nourisher of life. Um, and was descended from from Ruth and Boaz. Um, and so like his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents before him, Jesus became the ultimate, perfect, and complete redeemer. Um, if you look at uh, the back of the sheet, there are a couple of verses um, pulled from the New Testament. Um, and the one from, from 1 Peter 17 um, through 21, I think pretty accurately sums it up. Um, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Um, so Jesus is our perfect redeemer. He is the perfect lamb, the sacrifice for us, um, saving us from our sins. Like Boaz, Jesus paid our debts and gave us everything he has and now lives in union with us. Um, and also, like Ruth, Jesus gave up everything. He left his throne in heaven and left the fellowship with the Father um, out of his great love for us. Um, but being a Christian isn't about trying to be more like Ruth or Boaz for us, and that's important for us to remember. Um, it's not even about trying to live the perfect life like Jesus, because if we try to emulate Ruth or Boaz, um, we'll just fail, and we'll get mad at ourselves, we'll get mad at God, um, and we won't have the joy or the perseverance to continue when it gets hard. Um, because that's a life of, of trying to prove ourselves to God and trying to earn favor and prove our words to him, worth to him. Um, and that's not what God asks us to do. Um, instead, being Christian um, is, is about what, what Paul says in Romans 3, 22 through 25, um, which I think is the second reading on the sheet, where he says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Um, it's about recognizing that that we are sinners, every one of us is a sinner, and that the only way that we are justified, that we are brought into God's um, good graces, is by God's own grace and is through the blood of Jesus. Um, it's recognizing that Jesus is our Redeemer, 
is about seeing um, that the stories of Ruth and Boaz just point us to the future Redeemer who was Jesus um, and who has covered us with his garment and given us everything we could ever need, and that is himself. Um, as we as we close, um, I think it's important just just to think and remember and remind ourselves that that you know we may want to be the Ruth or the Boaz of the story, and in some ways God may use us to help other people out. Um, we may be able to redeem in some ways, not in the internal way, but in some ways, um, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but in the in the grand scheme of things, we are the Naomi of this story. We are helpless. We are broken. We are witted in our sin. We have nothing to offer society, nothing to offer God. Um, but Jesus came to live, to die, and rise again to redeem us. He became human like us. He suffered like us, and he left his home for us. He descended farther than any of us will ever go, leaving the comforts of heaven for suffering on earth, so that we would no longer be separated from him. And he says to each of us, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. And I refuse to let even death separate us because I love you now and forever. Um, uh, Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for um, what you did um, through Ruth and Boaz and how this wonderful story just points us um, more and more to the life of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Um, I pray that we would remember that we are um, broken and sinful, but also that you have redeemed us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, and um, that you love us forever. Um, In your holy name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.